You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 141. Subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app. And if you've been to the website, you know how amazing it is. And if not, come on. Episode 141 here. Go to codingbox.net and find show notes, examples, discussion, and a whole lot more. Oh, and feedback, questions, rants can be sent to you comments at codingbox.net. We'll get these kinks ironed out at some point <laughs> in the life of this. That'll be you our can... seven-year uh, stretch goal. Right. That's what we're doing. So you can follow us on Twitter at codingblocks or head to www.codingblocks.net and find all our social links there at the top of the page. With that, I'm Alan Underwood. I'm Josek. And I'm Mike Outlaw. This episode is sponsored by Datadog, the cloud-scale monitoring and analytics platform for end-to-end visibility into modern applications. And Secure Code Warrior, build your security posture and defend your organization from cybersecurity threats by empowering your developers with the skills and expertise they need to write secure code from the start. Okay, so uh, let's get the show on the road. We are going to be talking about... Well, I feel like Alan should have to say this because he's the one that says it so well. Let's, let's, Gorsh. There you go. Gorsh. Gorsh. I don't know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know, uh, we, we've done these water cooler type episodes in the past. And so that's what this one is. It's just a little lighthearted, uh, you know, water cooler type of episode. Uh, but, you know, before we get into that, though, let's, uh, you know, as we like to do, say thanks to those that left us a, a new review. Oh, you know what? We forgot to put some names on that. So uh, I'll take the easy one. So from iTunes, uh, we have I Buy Not Play. And then on Stitcher, we've got Comrade 53. The nickname field is Too Shore. And Hopker. <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> I didn't. I just got it as you're reading it. I was like, <laughs> because before I saw it, now I'm just like, huh. And now when you read it, I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> So, yes, thank you very much for taking the time to leave those. Yeah, very cool. Uh, also, one last thing, bit of news here, very important. Factorio is version 1.0 right now. Maybe, I mean, at least 1.0 right now. And uh, it's super awesome. I've talked about that game before, but it's super exciting. And it really hasn't changed that much from uh, beta, in my opinion, user interface. But anyway, uh, it's super awesome. If you can't leave your house for months at a time, I <laughs> highly recommend it. The game that will never, ever go on sale. It will always be $30. Yep. He said, I got it at $20. Really? How? Yep. Because uh, it's never gone on sale, but it has gotten more expensive. Right. Ah. Okay. When it first came out and it was in like very, very early days, it was $20. And then they, they like let everyone know. They're like, hey, in the next couple months, we're going up 30 hmm. it So it may get more expensive. So you should probably buy it now. Yeah. Anything, anything major in V1? Uh, it's just like a little quality of life stuff. Um, the user interface got a little bit easier. Um, do you actually, if you do free play, uh, it starts you off standing by like a, a wreckage of a rocket. So it's kind of like there's a little bit more of a narrative there in that experience. But overall, okay. it seems it's, it's totally still the same game. So they're adding polish. I can get behind that. Yeah. Yeah. For years. They've probably been focusing on their, their DevOps behind it. I'm sure. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> they, right. You know, trying to get metrics and telemetry and. You know, see what matters. Well, you know, uh, Krittner was running a game server in Docker uh, there for a while. You know, a Factorio game server? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he was running it in Docker? Yeah. That's great. That's pretty awesome. Uh, so uh, awesome. Yeah. 
So, uh, so we, we didn't know what to do, uh, today. So we just decided to kind of bring a couple topics to the table and, uh, just talk about it. So welcome. Hope you're enjoying the show so far. Let's get going. <laughs> and if you're not, you're probably already gone. So <laughs> it's all good. That's right. That's wow. Right. <laughs> okay. So, uh, I guess I'm taking the first one here. So I have noticed, uh, you know, over the years, like, People talk about unit testing. It's kind of gone up and down, and uh, the way people talk about it, uh, it kind of goes and kind of comes in waves. And right now, it seems like we're in like a pessimist wave on it. And so, I just read an article the other day, just kind of talking about the downfalls of unit testing, kind of questioning whether it's been kind of like a, you know, kind of comparing it to a cult or you know a fad or something that ended up uh, kind of washing over and not really being practiced anymore, and not, and not being considered. Uh, best practice anymore. Uh, anyway, that was like kind of the tone of the article, the article that I read. And then there were a lot of comments, of course, on, uh, Hacker News or Reddit and not, whatnot about it. So I wanted to ask, are your unit tests bringing you down? Hmm. Who, who's going can, first? Can, can we just say, like, how could somebody honestly write an article and take the stance that unit tests are like an anti pattern? <laughs> what? I could look. I could get it. We've talked about this in the past. We we have talked about this to where if you were just trying to get a thousand percent coverage on everything, because now I'm the mathematician. Um, <laughs> if you're trying to do that and you're testing things that don't matter, like if you're testing things that are like you're just testing to make sure that you know pi is pi, like just that's a waste. Of that's code that you got to maintain and you got to keep and you got to bring with you all the time. That's not what you should be testing. You should be testing what you're contractually saying that other people can use, right? And I think that's really what it boils down to. So I can see it. I could totally see it if somebody's goal isn't to make sure the application is solid, but instead to make sure that they got tests to cover every single method in the app. I, I get it. I, I totally get it. I mean, you shouldn't be testing, trying to test like, okay, well, this is, con- this could be controversial. Uh, in, in my opinion, I wouldn't, I've, ne- I don't like to write tests or waste time with tests that are like testing the framework or something or like, you know, math. Like I'm going to expect that two plus two is always going to equal three, no matter what I do. Um, <laughs> was a, no one really. <laughs> Never mind. I mean, oh, the God. test passed. I, wait, I wait, forgot I who I'm talking to. Jay Z actually thought that was what it was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I believe you. I, you know, anything can get past, past the, both the mathematicians. So you know, yeah, approved. Uh, at any rate, but but I do recall, like like you know, even with libraries, though, like I I tend to like not focus in on their stuff. Like I, I try to focus on testing my stuff, but I do recall there was. Uh, you know, one of the Uncle Bob books that we had talked about, I don't remember if it was clean code or architecture. It was, um, architecture. It was one of those where, where he did talk about like writing tests for the framework so that you could protect yourself when or if you upgrade that, that library. Right. Yep. So I was like, Oh, I mean, I get it. It makes sense. But you know, those are tests that should be like in their, in a very specific place in, in my mind for that. You know, it, it, I don't know, I, I, but I can't take the approach though that it's overrated. So, 
which is which is what this whole thing was about, right? It was that saying that unit testing is overrated, and I'm just like, I can't get behind you there. I can't. I, that's not a position I could take. No, it's not. I can't. I can't agree to that. Like it's your it's your your first wave of defense in making sure that your stuff still works, and so that you know, and as you make changes to it, to know that you didn't introduce something new. What's the alternative if you're not going to have it? Are you, no testing at all. I mean. I would assume that's not going to be the approach. So then what's the other thing to say, like we're only going to focus on integration tests because those can be slow. So, I mean, you want that fast feedback loop, which is what unit tests are all about. And it's not just slow. Integration tests can also be really brittle, right? So they are way harder to keep up and maintain over time as opposed to a unit test. But in fairness, like if you, so Jay-Z did include the link to this thing. Basically, what this person's saying, and and I I sort of get it. I don't agree with it completely. Is he's basically saying there's really just two types of of code. There's your plumbing, and then there's their computational thing. And I think when he talks about computational, he's basically saying, "Hey, your business type code, your your business logic." And then there's the other stuff, um, your database access, your your file system access, all that kind of stuff. And he's saying that your business access or your business layer is usually way smaller than your other stuff. And that's all you should care about testing. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to bring it up because, uh, you know, I, I mostly just looked at the comments, but I actually just clicked through the article and then realized I didn't actually look at the, uh, <laughs> the initial reference when I kind of ran through all these comments and all the links uh, from the comments and kind of was checking on the debate. This was, uh, from 2014 and we might have even talked about this at the time. There was like a, a series of discussions between three different people, including Martin Fowler, we've referenced many times, uh, Kent Beck, who kind of, was a big uh, influence on starting with automated testing and unit testing specifically, and also DHH, uh, Ruby on Rails, um, influential kind of figure. And they had a, a series of discussions kind of talking about whether TDD was dead and kind of what their thoughts were after several years of unit testing. And, uh, yeah, I was just – the comments I, I saw were – uh, very surprising to me. And I, and I saw a lot of negativity around unit testing, which I wasn't too surprised about because it is a pain in the butt. And uh, what people were saying is like they kind of got the impression from the comments that – there's a lot of people out there that are just drowning in unit tests and they're constantly fixing unit tests and they're just, uh, they can't get any work done because unit tests. And I don't know where these people are working. Yeah. <laughs> everyone I talk to is almost like a myth. It's like, no, I heard about unit tests. I think it would help a lot, but I'm, you know, there's no way we're getting it through on this brownfield project or there's no way I'm doing that because I don't know what I'm doing. I'm still kind of exploring, I'm still figuring things out or I've got too many dependencies to make this work with it. And so uh, I was just surprised to see so many people kind of talking about it as if they just had these horrible experiences with it. So I was just curious what people out there, have they tried it? Did everyone, like, did a lot of people go out there and try to do unit testing and just get burned by it somehow? Or, you know, was it a bad test or what happened here? But I, I was just kind of curious to see why it flared up. And I, and I noticed that I just searched this article. It managed to somehow, this article from five years ago, six years ago, managed to make it to the top of Reddit and the top of Hacker News twice uh, this week. So <laughs> okay, I kind of so feel like there's some weird stuff going on. I, I, I don't know what article you're looking at because this thing is from July of 2020. Well, that's when it was resubmitted to Hacker News. No, no, no. I'm saying oh, the first link. The oh, yeah, I posted multiple links. So the one that got me started is, is TD Dead. It's actually the second and third links. Oh, I haven't seen that one. I'm doing unit testing is overrated. Yeah, that but that th- one is that one was from 2020. So yeah. let's let's not go past this one yet because in my mind, my mind went to sort of like the domain driven design series that we talked about 
couple of years ago now, maybe three. But one of the things that I really like from domain-driven design, even if you don't buy into the rest of sort of their, their structure and their framework or everything, but this whole notion that there should be value types that are basically immutable, and then there are other stateful type objects, that's the kind of stuff to me that deserves real unit tests, right? Like if you are mutating state, and the state is mutated based off any kind of business rules, right? Any kind of logic. Like, I don't know, you set a calendar date for an appointment, right? If that appointment can only happen between eight and five, and if, if the person's not booked up already, there's business logic there that's testable, right? That should be tested. And it should be a pretty simple unit test because there should be logic that's applied to whatever that state was to identify whether or not it can be mutated into that other one. However, if all you're doing is dealing with DTOs and you're writing to a database and you're just trying to make sure the database got that changed, then if you get that DTO back that you got the same thing, this is where I tend to agree with what people are saying in this article and that that's not a unit test, right? If that is truly an integration test, did what I persisted to the database, do I get that same thing back, right? That should be an integration test. And I do agree with that. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely, I think that unit tests play a super vital role in making sure that if you're changing business logic, you don't jack up what's there. So in in full disclosure, so like, you know, these links that Jay-Z just, uh, presented to us. I, I hadn't seen these before, so I hadn't read these before, but I, I'm like, you know, trying to zoom through this, this first one that unit testing is overrated. And like, uh, I'm just like, no, I can't, I don't know that I could read this thing and like really, uh, you know, take it, take, take it serious. Like there, at one point he's like saying, Hey, let's expand on the observations we've made about this process. And, and he says, unit tests have limited purpose, have a limited purpose. I'm like, all right. I mean, if that purpose is to like protect your code, then okay. And make sure that it works. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, what do you want it to do? <laughs> it's a unit test. It's not the, it's not the main function. So, okay. Right. I guess all code has a limited purpose at some point, uh, in some regard, but, uh, this one I disagreed with, like just on its va- face value, unit tests lead to a more c- complicated design. I'm like, um, no, Shouldn't. No, I mean, not, not if you have the right levels of abstraction, right? Like you should, you should, it should make it better, right? Like that's the whole point is agree. like your, your dependencies are supposed to be lessened because of that. And if that's what you mean by a more complicated design, like, oh, I'm not going to let all these dependencies leak in, you know, seep in, then, okay, I guess, but that's a weird stance to take. And then the third one, unit tests are expensive. And I'm like, uh, how, how, how? Hey, we touched on that in clean architecture at the very beginning of the book where they said that the whole point of a unit test or even an integration test, any kind of testing like that is to give you confidence that you can make a change. And when you don't have that stuff in place over time, it gets increasingly difficult to make changes because you don't have confidence that you're not breaking something. Well, I mean, here, here's his, his thing that he's saying is that unit tests by design are very tightly coupled to the code they're testing, which means that any effort to make a change is effectively doubled as the test suite needs to be updated as well. And I'm like, well, that's, 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 that's 
seems like crazy logic to me. Like the whole, yeah, I mean, sure, fine. If you're going to, you're going to like fundamentally make some changes to the thing, then yeah, you have to change the unit test to go along with it. But is it necessarily double? Like I, I, I mean, I can't get behind that anyways, because you're still going to have to test it one way or another, yeah. whether or not you have a QA person going in regression tests. So are you saying that their time is less valuable than taking the time to automate testing that thing? Like that doesn't make sense. No, now here, here's two, the, the last two though, that get interesting is that unit, cause, cause the first ones like, I think are just like way too confrontational to right. start with. The, those first three were just confrontational, but then it's like, okay, unit tests rely on implementation details. Well, okay, yeah. I mean, you got to know something about what you're testing. So, okay, I, I, I guess I can't argue with that, right? I mean, yeah. otherwise, what do you, <laughs> how else do I you mean, want to test it? Like, again, right. go back to what you just said a minute ago. Okay, yeah, it's either the code knows it or a person knows it, but somebody has to know what they're testing. So, you know, so some detail needs to be known there. Uh, and then uh, y- y- unit tests don't exercise user behavior. I'm like, well, that's different. That that's, I mean, when we start talking about user behavior, you start talking about interacting through another layer, right? Another, a UI or something that has other things going on. That's that's again, that's more of an integration type test. That's not the same thing. And and again, like part he he has a tweet in here that's kind of funny. Yeah, uh, I saw that where it says. Unit testing is a great way to ensure your your mocks work. <laughs> and I'm like, that's hilarious. But you know, on that one, um, I, I gotta argue, like I think there is something wrong. Like I think if you've got a ton of mocks, then that's kind of a sign that something bad is happening. Because yes. I kinda like the idea that you should have your branching business logic, your decisions separated from your third party dependencies. I want those third party dependencies and those like external services to be really dumb. Like you know, almost like rest level dumb. Like they should, they should crud. And then I want my logic separate, have it do the deciding and have these other humble objects do the doing. And so I've kind of feel like by doing that, if you can truly spit out your decisions from your actions, then you don't really need mocks because the actions, who cares? You know, they're basically, uh, you know, you're relying on the integration type stuff for that. And, you know, if you can just kind of keep your decisions separately, then that's the, the places that change a hundred times. Well, hold on, hold on. In fairness, the mocks do serve a, a decent space, right? And, and the reason I say is, if we're talking about OO specifically, if you're mutating state, how do you verify that state? And that's where a mock can come into play. Now, if you go crazy and you have all kinds of complicated objects that are nested and all, sure, right? Like now, now you're oh. creating a very complex unit testing framework that is almost like maintaining a whole nother app on the side. I, I don't Eight, even know. called and want their state back. It's all, <laughs> it's all about the function on how come on. Oh, come on. I, I don't even know if you've seen it though, because there are some disgusting, absolutely disgusting things that you could do with unit tests and mocks. Totally. Like totally. there, there's actually like, there are frameworks that'll allow you to say like, Hey, I know that this other object should have this internal, you know, method, and you tell me if that thing actually got ever got called. I want to verify that it got called, that the method got called, right? And it's like, that's the kind of thing in my mind, like, mm, 
No, that's I, dirty. I don't. I don't want to be in the internals of that other thing. Like that feels wrong. I want that's to test that method. If that method right. returns what I think it should do and does what I should it should do in in certain situations, you know, test the behavior. Sure, fine. You know, I, I can get on board with that. But I don't know. Like he 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 goes on in this article and makes this point. We're picking on only this one that you you pointed out, Jay Z. But uh, you know where he's saying is like he's talking about like partitioning your test based on threads of behavior rather than the code's internal structure. But like in the examples that he's given, he's, he's like using, like he has uh, external dependencies on like standard out or a file system and things like that. And I'm like, I'm thinking in my head, like, okay, depending on where you decide to run that unit test, that could be problematic. If it's, you right. know, it might not run the same way in a Docker container on a build server that it ran, ran on your laptop when you coded it, you know, for example, right. maybe, you know, uh, I mean, your, your mileage can vary. So I, I don't know. I, I can't, it, it seems like it's pretty, uh, controversial. The other one is TDD dead. So this is one of those ones where I think somebody got annoyed by, by the fact that everybody's preaching TDD. Right. And they basically say, Hey, the thought leaders are the ones out there that are preaching this stuff, but they don't ever actually have to implement it. Right. And well, it's the, 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 that's the title of what they link to. And then the, the, there's a whole bunch of discussions that you kind of have to like, it, you basically listen to It's not even really like a, you know, laid out articles, discussions about it, but uh, definitely the way it's framed by the title. And then the, the comments that you see, you can definitely see a, a certain kind of um, leaning in the comments. Well, I, what I was going to say is our buddy, Will, who was on, uh, it's been several episodes back now, but it, he did TDD and he loved it. Like, he said that it made you very, you were way more thoughtful about your approach to problems when you did that, where you basically set up a failing test at the beginning, you figured out what the business rules were that you needed to implement, and then you coded that stuff. And then when that was all good, then your unit test would pass, right? And so it was a very structured way of ensuring that you were meeting the business logic that needed to happen. It sounds great in theory. I just can't do it. I've never been forced to do it. So I can't, I can't speak to whether or not it, yeah, I I can't speak to whether it will work for me or not, but I know for him, he was forced to do it and he ended up liking it because I had even asked him about it. I was like, what do you think? He's like, oh, dude, I I like it. At least that's what he said at the time. I mean, we'll definitely shout out at us and let us know if, if that's changed, but you know, you see a lot of this kind of with uh, trends like, um, I saw uh, I saw an article asking if server side rendering is dead recently, and that's something that I, you know I've actually uh, you know I've got my own, like I kind of think it is maybe, but uh, just this whole kind of um, this notion that things are because my business flow or my workflow doesn't w- jive well with these things, it must be dead for everybody. That's just ridiculous. I think uh, if you're working on huge large code bases that are difficult to test and, and feature a lot of integrations. Then, uh, it's pretty rough to not have unit tests. I, I had to make a change in another developer's code. They were out for a little while. And so I had to hop in there and make a change. They added a bunch of tests. And so it was nice that when I added my little thing and ran the test, I could see one that failed and go check it out and figure it out. And it would have been miserable to even figure out how to test it and hook it up. And they, uh, this developer had a unit, uh, had an integration test too, but I, the database had moved on since then. I didn't know where it was. Like I, it didn't have good ways for me to hook it up. You know, from this thing that had been written, you know, maybe even years ago. 
And so it, the, I've just had so much more problems with integration tests and end-to-end -end tests just being fragile or getting out to date than I have unit tests. I've just never in my life have said, gosh darn it, there's too many unit tests here. Right. And, and even um, the times I've written them at worst, I feel like they're extraneous and annoying and then you just delete them if they're not useful. And, you know, I feel like you're talking about maybe single digits worth of hours of wasted work if that's the case. But uh, one bug in production, <laughs> you know, one problem can easily eat those hours in, you know, a single single day. So I, I don't know. I just don't I don't get I don't understand the hate here. Well, I do want in relation to this in regards to this article about the unit test overrating in fairness to the author. I do want to, like, close out with his summary. And and see where you, where we all land on it. Well, or I can tell you where I land on some of these. Because his main takeaways were number one, he he in true developer form though he numbers these from zero. So number zero, uh, think critically and challenge best practices. Okay, fine, I can get on board with that. I I, I don't think that I, I still think that unit testing is a is a best practice and we should continue doing it though. Um, so he, uh, I'm not swayed there yet. Um, and, and this whole testing thing, he, he referred to it as the testing pyramid. So he says, don't rely on the testing pyramid on the test pyramid, which, you know, like more specifically the test pyramid, the, the base of the, the pyramid was, uh, unit tests. And then the, um, I'm trying to find it. The second layer of the, uh, was it was integration tests. And then the top layer of the pyramid was end to end test. And uh, he was saying, like, don't rely on that. So I, I don't know. I, I, I can't get on board with that. But there's this other one, though, that is kind of interesting. He says, separate tests by functionality rather than by classes, modules, or scope. And I, I kind of like, okay, that's an interesting because, like, I know that I've written unit tests where it's kind of like um, – where our structure is like, hey, here's the class under test, and then here's the method under test within the class. I mean, we've talked about like that, that structure, like how I like to lay out my my classes, right? And he's he's advocating for like, don't don't structure your test like that, right? I don't know. I mean, maybe. Yeah, I mean, interesting. it well, what I think where I think that that particular point ties in more specifically is, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was also again from, um. Uh, one of the clean code series of books where he talked about um, creating your own uh, test language that you would use, you know, and it's like all your tests would be written in that language so that it, so that you, your, your, um, you know, it was closer to your domain. You know, do you, do you recall that part? Nope. Um, so like maybe you would have like a, you know, a, a, a create customer method and, and you know, that, that, that test method could then you would be like create customer dot order item dot, you know, is in stock dot, you know, and so you could like change, you could have this like descriptive kind of language about your tests. Right. And so maybe that would be more in line with what the author here is describing about like testing the functionality. Like if you were to go, if you were to take your testing to that extra level where you, where you did that kind of testing uh, language. I'll say, it. I do want to read this article. It's long. It's yes. super long, but in the summary, 
it almost goes back to kind of what we were talking about, or maybe what I was mentioning there at the beginning is this sounds more like the domain driven approach, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're te- like what you just said, right? Uh, create customer, create order, something like that. Yeah. Test what what you're trying to actually accomplish with something, right? So your your public calls test to make sure they functionally work the way that they're supposed to instead of testing every single method in a class. And that's what he says kind of in his summary here is test for functionality rather than by classes or modules or any of that kind of stuff. And I think I can get behind that. And, and if he's just saying that treat your test like that as a po- but that's still to me kind of a unit test, right? But I think he's he's trying to draw a line between well, just trying to test every single method you got. He, here here's where we're going to start to derail again, right? Because remember that that other that other example that I told you about, like where he was showing like uh, unit tests, or I don't want to call them unit tests. He was showing tests that like relied on the file system or standard out, standard in, things like that. So he says aim for the highest level of integration while maintaining reasonable speed and cost. So the, you know, the point being like, Hey, it's okay to use a file off the file system or, or standard in or standard out for your test. If you know, that level of integration is still going to be an acceptable mm-hmm. amount of speed and cost. Like, uh, okay. I mean, you know, again, that's going to be problem. That can be problematic. What happens if now, uh, your you build know, server is well, well, <clears throat> Let, let's just say it's cross-platform code. Right. Let's say, you know, and, and you're running it on Windows and, you know, now you're going to like, the build server is going to run it under, uh, you know, some, some version of Linux, right? Inside of a Docker container. Right. You know, that, that, that path might be problematic now, right? Like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't want, I don't want that to, to muddy, you know, the, the, does my code work and, you know, um, but then he says, he says, avoid sacrificing software dev- design for testability. So this is going back to that other idea about like, you know, the, the level of abstraction and whatnot, like in that we mentioned about like, Hey, if you have your, uh, um, your dependencies are, you know, are they separated or not? Right. are they baked in or not? And then the, this last one though is interesting where he says, consider mocking only as a last resort. But again, I kind of go back to Joe's point earlier, you know, like, well, I mean, depending on, you know, if you got, if you need the mocks, if you need mocks and you need a lot of them, then maybe there's something else wrong there. Right. Right. Maybe, maybe yeah, there's a bigger problem. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, we don't have to, I guess we've been stuck on it for, <laughs> we've been beating this one for a while, but, uh, well, it was an interesting one. Yeah. That oh, yeah. Yeah. For sure. I like it. It just, I, I was surprised by so many comments, uh, kind of speaking to the idea that, you know, there, there are people getting crushed by trying to get to 100%, uh, code coverage. And from what I hear from talking to people like out in the field, like I would be so surprised if most code bases even had 25% coverage based on what I hear from like real people. But then I see the comments on the, on, you know, these articles and it just sounds like, you know, people are having radically different, uh, experiences than me, I guess. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I I want to see some of these code bases. Yeah, so I don't know, but uh, yeah. So that was number one. We got uh, seventeen more questions here to go. <laughs> All right, sweet. One down. All right. Uh, my next one's really just kind of a rant, so I I can just skip that and just now let's hear it. Okay, fine. I was gonna say, do I, do you really have to read emails? <laughs> do you, if someone sends you an email, are you obligated to read it and respond? Wait, now respond is different. Hold on. Which, which which question are you going to ask me here? 
I'm so I'm I'm skipping past. Do you have an obligation to respond? And I'm saying, do you have an obligation to read emails? And I I say this because I'm a big jerk, and I've already I've always been bad about responding to emails, and now I've gotten to the point where I'm bad about reading them. And I, like I'll, I'll check my every once in a while, I'll scan through my email, and I'll, I'll I get so much junk. And a lot of it's really nasty where the person, like, I'm sure it's a robot, but they're like, I've tried contacting you six times and you've never responded to my email. Don't you want to have a call tomorrow to talk about my product? I'm like, yeah. No, I, no, I don't have to respond to you. I get like, yeah, I get Listen, so much if of that. You don't want to talk to no me. Way. Just respond back with either one, two, or three, depending <laughs> on the definitions I gave you for one, two, and three. Yeah. yeah. We and get some nasty about- ones. Yeah, it's crazy how much nasty. And the thing is, like, because of all that nasty stuff, I don't even like checking my email anymore. I miss so much good stuff. Though. So I get like, you know, my mom calls me and it's like, I sent you an email last week with your, you know, cousin Jennifer's baby or something. You didn't say anything. I'm like, oh, well, that's because I kind of stopped checking my email. Well, I'm sorry. You should text me. But uh, that's where I've gotten with email. Like, I've pretty much just declared, I've not even declared bankruptcy. I've just, uh, I'm like just choosing not to believe it exists. I guess it's a wasteland to you. Well, those yeah. those bad ones. Just know that those bad ones are definitely robots. Oh, oh yeah, I'm automated. sure. Yeah, it doesn't even make sense. But yeah, it's just crazy to be like you haven't responded. This is the last time I'm going to contact you. And you like look and you're like that's like number seven. You're like okay, listen, yeah. the phishing scam hasn't caught on yet. It's still not going to catch on. <laughs> Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe I'm a jerk for not reading emails, and I'm sorry if I haven't responded to you. It's because I uh, haven't even looked. Dude, and you know the hard. thing is, I'll pile on onto it, is it's not just any one particular email service out there. Like, no. I, they all are just – Google does a fantastic job of trying to weed out the, the garbage, but there's still just so much that it's – I don't know, man. It's like deflating. I know, I know you guys keep like zero inboxes. I don't believe in that. Like I couldn't live my life. <laughs> I would, I would be debilitated every day. Right now I'm looking in, in mine and it says I have 12,180 on red. That's right? debilitating right there. Yeah. Well, the, what I do now is like basically what I've started doing because I, I love inbox zero and like to kind of use it as to do, but I like from my personal email accounts, like the only one I to check anymore is my home. And the thing is like, I mean, sorry, my work email, when I go look at my personal emails, I look and there's so many and they're so old. So I kind of think like, well, I guess if I haven't responded to you in two months, like <laughs> you know, it's probably irrelevant now. So I'll just do kind of like in inbox, is it on red? And just, you know, I look maybe for the last day or two to see if there's anything important that's still relevant. And then I just nuke all of them. And then I feel like a huge jerk, but also it's kind of nice just to <laughs> not have an email anymore. Yeah. That's why I don't worry about the zero thing. Like I'm not trying to keep up with that. That's Did you like auto respond? It just is like, Hey, I'm sorry. You should tweet at me if you're a human. <laughs> <laughs> but I if guess. you're like Wayfair trying to sell me a couch or something like that, I, you know, or you want to have a meeting to, to talk about something tomorrow, then no. Yeah. I guess um, I can't relate to either of you then. Cause like <laughs> maybe, maybe you, here, here's probably what it is. Maybe you get guys get like 10 times the amount of email I get. Maybe that's what it is. But, you know, I'm always like, there's some emails that like I can just tell right away from the subject like that's junk. I don't even care. Oh like, yeah, totally. You know, it, except except when maybe I do care, right? And by that, what I mean is like, yeah. let's say let's say I get email from Meetup.com right now. 
Uh-uh. We're in a pandemic. I'm deleting all of it. If I Every time I see an email from from Meetup, done, 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 trash, trash, trash. I don't even bother with it, right? But, but you could be missing some killer virtual meetups. You know that, right? Just saying. And that's the thing. Mm-hmm. Except That's why I say except when I don't. So like when I'm in a mood for meetups and I see that meetup email come in, I'll be like, all right, let me check it out. Which is it? Oh, right. yeah, no. Like the Amazon, we get tons yeah. of Amazon email, right? Like, hey, Joe, I see that you like this, or Alan, I see you like that, and I'm like, so there's yeah. so much of that. There's so much of that email that, like, right away, I don't, I might not even have to open it to be able to see, like, that's junk, junk, junk. I don't care. I'm not in. The, I'm not in the mood for this. Not in the mood. Not in the mood. Not in the mood. And then that way, I can, like, when it does get to the few that it's like, oh, okay, here's the five that I really want to take the time to actually read. Right. Then it's like, okay, fine, and then. You know, when I'm done with reading those five, guess what? I have zero unread emails. You know what's so funny about this is you guys remember years ago, like when probably Newegg was probably one of the first that started doing it and Amazon was really good. Like you'd be on on Amazon looking for something. And I'm talking years ago, 10, 15 years ago when they were still kind of the new kids in town, right? And you'd be searching for something and then like you get distracted. And, and you'd walk away from it. And then later on, you'd have an email saying, hey, I saw you were looking at this. And you're like, I was. And you'd be excited about it. Like, oh, you you were kind enough to remind me, right? And nowadays, you're like, yo, get off me. <laughs> like, I, I don't want you to tell me that I was looking at this monitor and there's these 50 other ones that I might be interested in. I was already in a rabbit hole. Right. And you just ruined me because now that's going to be another 20 hours of research. So... Yeah, I don't get excited about it anymore. Uh, not not to hijack uh, Jay Z's uh, question here about the email, but specific to Amazon, since you brought it up, like the thing that has has annoyed me lately that I've noticed, and and I, I don't know if they're doing it intentionally, just thinking like, oh, most people are probably aren't going to like bother to pay attention, but. There'll be things that you'll see something on Amazon. You're like, oh, yeah, that's something I would want to buy. But it's more expensive on Amazon mm-hmm. than what it cost anywhere else. And it used to be the case that when you would see that, it was because if you looked at the like who it's bought or who it's sold and shipped from, it wasn't Amazon. But right. here lately, I've had cases where it was sold and shipped by Amazon but yet it would be like there was one where it was 25% more expensive from Amazon than it was to just go directly to the manufacturer and buy it directly from them. And I'm like, why? There was no good reason. It was not like I was going to get it any faster. Like literally I wasn't going to get it any faster. So why was it going to cost me 25% more? You know the only thing I can think of is this that like you didn't think I would look. Right. People are there. Did you ever know those people that used to love to go to flea markets? Like there, I know we all knew people that was like, Oh, they were hitting the flea market on the weekend. It, they would go there and buy stuff. And it was like, dude, you realize you could have bought that in Walmart for, you know, I don't know, 10 bucks less. Like, right. It, but, but they thought because they were there, they were getting a deal. And I think people are just trained now that, Hey, they're on Amazon. They got their Amazon store card. They got every, it's so easy to push that buy it now button. That, that's it. Right. They're done. So for yeah. some reason, I don't, I don't know why, but the MTX blue thunders were the ones that came to mind oh. <laughs> when you said that, because for some reason, like, you know, that was, that was like the, f- the, the flea market brand. Uh, that's so funny, man. Uh, good times. All right, Jay-Z, you got another one for us. 
Uh, yeah. By the way, I just set up uh, on two of my email accounts. I just set up uh, auto responders. <laughs> this email is no longer supported. Oh, sorry. I'm a Wait. Jerk. So it's just gonna like automatically respond to every email. Like, <laughs> yeah. I might reply. To, I might read this. Uh, no, I, it just says it, I'm not gonna read it. Uh, it's not. How's that I'm gonna not, work for against spam that. though? Isn't that gonna make your spam problem worse? I yeah, I, I I guess so. I don't know. I'm not gonna know. He's never going to look at it. It's never going to hit his inbox. Oh, I guess it it might. I don't know. I'm going to sign out and never sign back in again. (laughs) Okay. We'll we'll see. We'll see how it goes. If it's a real human that gets that and – or you're, if you're a real human and you send me an email to that address for some reason and you get autoresponder, just contact me uh, on Twitter or something. (laughs) At the Joe Zach. (laughs) I'm still supporting that at this time. (laughs) <laughs> until he turns on that autoresponder that'll be good yeah right <laughs> exactly <laughs> so that All right, i did have one more question problem. i think um i just knew the answer is my question was uh are you ruining everything by working late yes yeah i think that is the answer i think it's a it's a bad game for you and everyone around you and everyone in the industry so you should just do your 40 and do it good and that's it I won't even say 40, but if you were constantly the person that's like, yeah, I'm going to work from seven in the morning till seven at night because I got to help everybody out and then I got to get my own work done. You're not doing yourself a favor, right? That's, that's it. Yeah. If you're making mistakes and like, you know, have dealing, making trouble to begin with, even if it's worth more than you lose, it just, everyone just hates you for it. <laughs> Trust me. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so just don't, just don't do it. Oh. Yeah, that was it. I'm I'm so conflicted on that one. I mean, yes, there's definitely a limit. Like if you're putting in 80 hours, then yeah, that's a problem. Yeah. No, no, I didn't say I was going to stop doing it. I said (laughs) I'm ruining everything. Oh, okay. Well, maybe that makes sense. I mean, here's the thing. I I think we've talked about this at some point in the past. Here's my biggest problem with this entire thing, right? When somebody goes in and they do project planning, let's say, right, a project manager, they're looking at the burn down rate because that's what they do, because they need to be able to forecast how much work they can do in the future. And if you are saying that you're only working 40 hours, which a lot of people tend to do, they won't put on there that they actually work 12 hours in a day on a single problem. And at the end of that, it's going to look like you only spent 40 hours, but you were really on the computer for 80. Then you are messing things up for yourself. You're not being honest with anybody. And all it does is perpetuate the cycle to where they're going to be like, well, I mean, dude, Jay-Z is just a beast. He can get, he can get three times the work done that anybody else does, not knowing that he's working twice as much. Right. And that's, you're setting yourself up for, for constant pain if you are allowing that to happen. Now, the three of us, we always, we kind of, I don't know if it's our nature, we put in extra work, even if it's not just at the keyboard, like we'll be researching and we'll be doing other things, right? Like we spent seven years doing this. Yeah, exactly. And so there's that's different. But if you are truly dedicating your entire day, like your 12 to 14 to 16 waking hours in front of the keyboard, yeah, man, you're ruining it for for yourself. And you're making you're the rest of us for, look bad. Oh. Right. There's that too. Because <laughs> then it's like, well, he's getting his work done. How come you're not getting your work done? Well, dude, he just spent 14 hours in a day. See, I wasn't even thinking about like you're coming at it from the approach of like 
hey, you're you're working 80 hours, but you're only claiming to work 40. That happens a lot. And yeah, well, it depends on your industry, though, right? Like if you're in a services industry. All right. You're then, billing. Then and you have billable hours, then you want to bill those 80 hours. But guess what? You're only getting paid for the 40. Right. right. And so like. You know, you, you are incentivized to track those hours because especially like in a, a, um, in that type of environment, like, you know, you're going to care about your billable hours. You like your overall utilization at the end of the year, right? It's going to matter. So, you know, you might be tempted to like, uh, bank up some of those extra hours like that so that you can have some time to relax later on, especially like, you know, if you have like high utilization targets. I mean, I've, I've seen, some organizations where like, you know, it, the utilization target was 97% of the year, which means you can hardly take, you can't take vacation, let alone off, holidays. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, so, so that's where the rub is. But like when you do go to those extremes, like the 80 hours, I mean, where I was kind of more thinking of is just like the mental fatigue that you're going to have to like, work on anything, <laughs> you know, you know, if, if you put in an all nighter, you know, the next day you're pretty much trash. Like, right. You might, you're be, not operating a hundred percent. Yeah. You, you might be physically there, but yeah, to your point, you're probably operating at like 40%. <laughs> so what is it? It doesn't do anyone any good that you, you put in those extra hours. So stop doing it, Jay-Z. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And that's the answer. I guess that means we should go play some Overwatch. That's right. Ah. It's high noon somewhere. Call of Duty, yeah. man. Call of Duty. You know, I mean, it's still Overwatch for me. I still love that game. That's still one of my favorites. I, I would much rather play Call of Duty any day of the week. Overwatch is too much team. I, I want to be Rambo. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't get behind that. No, it's yeah. Overwatch. Definitely Overwatch. Uh, all right. So how about this then for a question? Um. Also from Jay Z is because if you don't like this question, I want to make sure. Like, let's make this clear that that's who you should take your comments to. Uh, is Kubernetes programming? So, I guess, I guess, if you're actually writing the code for Kubernetes, then yes, absolutely, that is programming. But kind of assume we mean the YAML. Well, you know, even aside so, from the YAML, to me, my argument is that it kind of feels like coding, <laughs> right? Like, there's no, I mean, if you, hey, of course, like, the Helm is never far away. Hold, hold up, hold up. We don't have feelings on this show. Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> no, but go ahead, go ahead. All right. So, yeah, I mean, there's the act of running YAML, which is terrible and was, uh, is just a terrible idea, and we should stop that in Kubernetes, too. But, um, I, you know, I do it. think, uh, I'm not creating classes, no interfaces. Uh, very rarely do I have any sort of looping. There's lots of variables, uh, tons of variables because like you can't do Kubernetes for very long without, uh, tripping on Helm and, Wait, and you can for do good looping reason. and the templating in oh, Helm. for Helm. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, in Helm. Sorry. Yeah. And so, you know, there is that, but overall I kind of feel like, you know, even with the YAMLification, there's still a lot of creativity involved in how you set things up and how you test and how you read things and how you debug. Because whether or not uh, Kubernetes is coding, I think everyone who is working with it will agree that you sure do a lot of debugging. 
<laughs> wait, so how's that's that why, different than coding? That's wait what I'm saying. Wait, wait. <laughs> well, <laughs> I just proved this point. Uh, well, I was going to argue that like if you can't write a uh, unit test free in your language, then is it really a programming language? Helm has uh, has hooks for tests. It does have tests, but uh, that's test Helm, harnesses. not Kubernetes. So that's not that's not the yeah, same, but, right? Like, okay, you know. but let's be fair. Let's yeah. be fair here. Kubernetes isn't Kubernetes without Helm. No, 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 no. <laughs> no it totally is. You could totally no, have no. Kubernetes without Helm. You can, and you'd be insane. But you can't. Yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, no you way. can have Docker without Kubernetes. You can have Docker without yes. Docker Compose, right? But so, but you wouldn't because that's insanity. Like, that's, so again, <laughs> you can't write a a a YAML file that that is a unit test. I'm just going full circle back to the previous yep. conversation. So, oh man, this was hard. So I, I would say that Kubernetes is not a programming language, it, right? I don't, or it's not a like not a programming. It's not programming. However, I completely agree with the fact that if you're getting into Kubernetes, you were learning all kinds of things about networking. Uh, uh, all those wide. fun sysadmin things you never wanted to know. Right, right. Like basically every Linux command that you've never understood that you've seen on Stack Overflow that you copy and pasted, you will become a magician at that kind of stuff. Right? I'll never like, need to know this stuff. Right, right. I said, what's this? I just copy and paste it. All right, cool. It worked, right? Like that. I honestly think that. Man, I, I've I've mentioned this before. I'm curious what you guys take is on this because I love this. It's not programming, in, in my opinion. It's totally not programming, but it is a really good way to understand how things interoperate and and how the underpinnings of everything works. But this is where I was going. Have you ever had that friend that was just like a Windows developer, right? Like they spent their entire life on Windows, and and so they just lived in Visual Studio. And so everything they ever did was F5 to run. And and if they made changes to a class, it was all in the IDE. Everything was in the IDE. And then you start, like, not even going into Linux and Vim, right? Like, we've all seen Vim magicians, and you're like, oh, my word. <laughs> like, what Jay-Z and I got schooled by one. Right, right. But if you've ever taken one of your windows friends and they've seen you operate like doing Docker or Kubernetes commands, they just kind of stare at you slack jawed. Like, dude, what are you doing? And, and you almost feel like a magician. Kubernetes forces you to work those muscles that you've never had to deal with before. And you will actually be a better developer for doing it is, is what my argument is. Even though it's not programming, it gets you in the mindset of how to troubleshoot and resolve things and figure out how things work because of all the tools that you have to use, all the command line type tools that you have to use to make it happen. So that's where I am. I don't think it's programming, but it can make you a better programmer. I oh, mean, I can't find the um, the the. Te- I thought we did like a community talk where uh, Jay Z and I got the lesson on uh, VI and Vim. That was but also, it wasn't a community talk. It. it was, um, Zach. But it, uh, I, uh, I thought we recorded it, but okay. Oh, we did. It's on his YouTube channel. 
Uh, oh, Zach, it's on his YouTube channel, not on ours. Yes. Oh, okay. That's right. Why I can't. Um, I we'll have ours. a link for that. I'll, I'll look that up here. I just can't pronounce your last name. Sorry. No, it's, it's ing. So Jay Z, <laughs> you you posed the question. Well, no, Outlaw, you posed the question. Is Kubernetes programming? In my opinion, I would say no. It's it's configuration, is what it is. Configuration <laughs> debugging. Well, no, no, no. It's no different. It, 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 it okay. It's no different than if you set up like a silent install script for a bunch of installers and you're like, okay, let me, I want to automate the provisioning of a server, right? So I'm going to spin up the server and it's going to run and it's going to install everything. Okay. Did it install everything the way I wanted to? Okay. It looks like it did. looks like it did. Okay. Now can I actually like make the connections to and from that server like I expected? Let me test that. Let me test it. Let me test it. Oh shoot. I messed one up. Let me go back and change something else. Okay. Now I'm going to like retest that whole configuration again. Did it work again? Right. It's configuration. It's not, it's not, it's not programming. Yeah. It's necessary and it's awesome. And I'm yeah. not trying to belittle it at all. Totally. totally. But, but it's not, it's not programming. I agree with that. You Jay-Z? Nope. Nope. What? No, I don't agree. You think <laughs> it's say, programming? It looks like programming. It feels like programming <laughs> and I do a lot of debugging. So I'm going to say, it's like, I'm going to say it's basically coding just like HTML. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, go templates or go though. If you're doing Helm specifically, there is programming type functionality that goes into that templating type stuff that you can leverage. Um, but it's not full on. It's mostly conditional type things, right? And, and chaining of commands together. So I I don't know. I mean, it's pretty much, it's like, it reminds me of the days of like, creating an image of a hard drive like you would you would sit down you would take the time to install everything on one box then you would take a snapshot of that hard drive an image of that hard drive and then you would lay it out on other on another hard drive and that second one you might make sure like oh let me make sure that like everything that was specific to you know like like a dns name or something like that like that i needed to have variable let me make sure like i removed those bits from the image and and then when I like try to reuse that image the second time, like make sure that those things took, you know, that that it prompts me for a new activation key or something like that, right? Like, right. That's the way I view it. Is it, it like that's the type of testing you're doing? Yeah, I agree. I will say what Kubernetes kind of forces on you is back. I don't. I don't even know. I don't want to say back in the day, but in in the world before Kubernetes was really a thing, like all of this stuff, all of this stuff happened on hardware, right? Like if you had a switch or a firewall, you had open ports to, and you had uh, routers that were doing things and you had all this other stuff, right? Like these were all devices that you sort of managed independently. Right. And it was all configuration type stuff. Like what you just said outlaw, right? Like you're going to go in, you're going to open up a firewall port. You're going to go in and you're going to set up some, some routing information in these, in these tables and all that kind of stuff. This is all stuff that is now virtualized that you do in Kubernetes. So if you ever wanted to learn about all the nitty gritty crazy stuff that has had to happen to make your applications actually work in the real world, it's all baked into this virtual ecosystem that is called Kubernetes. And it is nuts what you can do with all this stuff. Well, and going back to the DevOps handbook, right? Like if you recall, there was a one one of the earlier chapters that we talked about in the DevOps handbook where they were talking about how uh, you should commit things like your firewall rules, totally. right? Like that, that would be something that you would commit. And, you know, 
with configuration like Kubernetes, you actually can. You do. Like, yeah. like it's, it's more in your face, the, you know, the capability and, you know, to, to be able to do that. So. Yep. I don't know. I feel like we ended at uh yes, yes, no. <laughs> or right. was it no, no, yes. I think it was no, no, yes. yes. No. no, 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 yes. Wrong, wrong, right. <laughs> hmm. No, I don't, I don't see that one. So we're at least 50% is what you're saying. Yeah, well, I'll probably. leave it to the math gurus to tell me. <laughs> Today's episode of Coding Blocks is sponsored by Datadog, the unified monitoring platform for real-time observability and detailed insights into Docker performance. Enhance your visibility into Docker orchestration with a live container view and easily detect clusters that are consuming excess resources using an auto-generated container map. And have you seen, it's actually pretty cool. If you've never seen it, uh, there there was a new one uh, that they had for the blog post. They just introduced a similar one for Kubernetes, uh, where you can see like everything that's happening. Same similar kind of concept. I'll include a link to it in the show notes. But the the container maps is really cool to be able to just see what's happening automatically. Yeah, and I just googled container map data dog, and I was able to instantly see the cool beehive kind of visualization there. It just looks really neat. Yeah, and uh, it's really well designed for. Uh, for like small or large, uh, large numbers of containers. So that's really cool. That's, uh, it's really smart. So I recommend you checking that out. And, uh, uh, while you're there, notice that out of the box, Datadog collects critical metrics for each Docker container and, uh, you get immediate visibility and aggregated and disaggregated service level traffic. Yeah. And, and if you've heard, if you've not, if you've captured anything that we've said from the DevOps handbook, collecting those metrics is critical. So I mean, we can't stress that enough. I mean, Datadog is really right up there with all your DevOps needs. I, I, it's pretty much like they took the DevOps handbook and just said, hey, let's make a company based on this, <laughs> the concepts in this book. Uh, try it today. Find out for yourself why, why they're awesome. Go start at your 14-day free trial and receive a Datadog t-shirt after creating just one dashboard. Visit datadoghq.com slash coding blocks to get started. All right, so you guys know that we love it when you take the time to go and leave us a review, guys, gals. It, it's it truly does brighten our day, and it's something that we look forward to. So, if we're keeping you company in any way, shape, or form while we're all stuck at home here for the past five, six months, you know, and, and you find yourself with a few minutes in between washing dishes, taking care of kids, taking your dogs out, feeding your cats, all that kind of stuff, you know. Definitely go up to codingblocks.net slash review and just, you know, drop us a line and tell us you appreciate it. And, and that re we read it and it puts a smile on our face and, and we truly do appreciate it. So yeah, thank you in advance. If you go ahead and do that. And with that, we head into dad jokes. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't see that coming. Did you? I didn't. All right. So <clears throat> I got a couple here from, uh, I think it was from Mike RG. Let me double check that. Oh, make sure I got that right. No, it's just Mike. What? We got a new Mike. There's too many of us. We've replicated. You've been re- oh no, it was Mike RG. He changed oh. his. He he threw me off because he changed his profile uh, picture. Um. All right. So. So. Uh, you know the boss boss walks in and says, "Where have you been? I've been trying to find you all morning." And I said, "Good employees are hard to find." <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good so 
with that, we head into my favorite portion of the show. Survey says. All right. Uh, a few episodes back, we asked, what is your meeting limit? And your choices were, one is too many. There is a reason I work with computers. Or, less than five hours per week is okay, so still have plenty of me time. Or, I can handle 10 hours a week, but ain't nobody happy about it. Or lastly, bring it on. The trick is to mute when you go to the bathroom. <laughs> All right. Um, I always forget who went first last. I think Jay-Z did last. Okay. So, uh, Alan, you go first. Which one do you right. think and percentage? I, I'm going to say this is what people's limits are. I'm going to say less than five hours a week is okay. And let's go with, let's say 40%. 40%. That's confidence. Uh, I That's think pretty so. Good. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Okay. I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say one is too many uh, with 30%. <laughs> one with the top vote. <laughs> yep. Okay. One. One meeting is too many. <laughs> okay. Just want to make oh, sure oh. we're. One. You know, he added three meetings okay. to my calendar for today. Yeah, right. Like, that's, like, why, <laughs> that's why I'm like double checking. Like, I wouldn't have really? to about it. It's over. I'm over. You. I'm overdrawn on my meetings. You're going with one. I just want. <laughs> I just want to have this on the record so that like the next meeting invite I get from Joe Zach, I'm be like, one, sir. I can just Yo, reply dude. back. You get <laughs> one a week. I can't help it if y'all need my guidance. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. What a great answer. I can't argue with that answer either. Right. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. I know what my auto responder is going to say. <laughs> if email from Gozak and calendar invite, respond back with one, sir. <laughs> All right. Uh, so Alan is going to go with less than five hours per week at 40%. And Joe, you are going with one is too many with, I think you said 30%. Yep. Okay. 30%. <laughs> And the winner is well. I now it feels awkward. Like if you're on, if for those watching it, you know home, I was flexing. That's and it. you see the gun show come out here. That's right. You know, <laughs> you're blinded by the solar the solar eclipse over there. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, this is awkward, but yeah, it was Alan. Alan won. Yeah. Of course. Less than well, it had to have been sixty or seventy percent, I gotta guess. Yeah, it was fifty fifty four percent of the vote. Yeah. Was one even in the top three? Well, I mean, there were only four choices. That's here. what I'm saying. Math I don't chicken think number it was. two. So you had a really good chance of it being in the top three. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I still don't think it was. Oh, it uh, was in the top three. Oh, yeah. no. Come on. Yeah. One of them was bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> of course, one is too many had a, had a good chance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah. I don't know. Are we really surprised by that though? Uh, I mean, I'm I, like your meeting limit. Like that seems about spot on as to what you'd be willing to take. Now, yeah. 
are, are all of us, do we go into more meetings than that? Like, oh, yeah, oh, sure. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we don't like it. We're not happy about it, but uh, okay. Well, let's see. I'm, I'm tempted here. Like, do I go with another joke or do I go with a survey? So how about how about if I say what the survey is for this episode first? And the survey is, do you eat at your desk? And your choices are, yeah, you, you, you don't eat at home too? <laughs> or, no, never. My keyboard is a shrine to purity. <laughs> or, no, wait, why? You have something? <laughs> uh. Which, I mean, you know, could be worse. We we probably should have, like, put out, like, an option there about, like, uh, you know, yes, but only with, like, you know, I, if I, like, Dexter-proof my keyboard, you know, <laughs> so that I, get, so I don't get crumbs in it or something like that. Maybe I should have added that one as an option. No, well, too late. There's no way we could possibly add a fourth option. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it's, it's too possible. far gone. It's locked down, man. Yeah. Clearly, you don't understand how these surveys work. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is science. We can't go messing around with science. That's right. All right. So, uh, one last joke, also from Mike RG. And he says, My son kept chewing on electrical cords, so I had to ground him. It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Very, but wait, there's more. Answer. He's doing better currently. Oh, no. <laughs> and conducting himself properly. Oh, that's oh. excellent. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's Thank beautiful. you, Mike RG. Very good. Hey, it doesn't hurt that we record super late at night because these things are always funnier than what they probably <laughs> are. <but you> know. <laughs> Mike RG, do not listen to him. The, oh, these right. were great jokes. It had nothing to do with time of day. <laughs> these would be funny at, you know, a good, what's a reasonable time? 11 a.m.? Maybe. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. This episode is sponsored by Secure Code Warrior. Secure Code Warrior's gamification lets you learn how to write secure code from the start and identify the bad code already present in your application. And I know, yeah. you're like, wait, how could there be bad code, right? There's no <laughs> bad code in my stuff. You know, you're going to find stuff that you didn't think was bad but if you take some of these assessments, you're going you're to realize like, oh, oh, whoa. Yeah, for sure. And uh, for me, it was very eye-opening to see just how hard it can be to find an issue if you don't know that there's one there. Or if you've got a lot of code that you need to look at in a short amount of time. And so what I really like about Secure Code Warriors, the way they've got their challenges organized are very much like real-world situations where you've got a project to look at for problems. And so, for example, now... My uh, latest side project, I didn't uh, take security uh, seriously enough. I didn't start left. And now I've got, uh, let's see here, adversary profile. Daniel Pytho is attacking me um, because he's well known for targeting world leader companies that sell user information. And uh, the threat file profile in this case for my uh, Go API is SQL injection. So I'm able to go and enter this game mode and uh, complete a couple tasks where I basically find and... Uh, you know, find the the places in this code that are open to vulnerabilities and then select the appropriate uh, actions in order to remediate. And I'm looking at uh, this project and others like, I don't know, maybe 
20 go files here that I've got to kind of look through and I can get some hints and reduce my score. But anyway, the point is it's all just really cool. And I'm learning a lot about go API right now, which is also really cool. Yeah. And I'm, I'm kind of torn because, you know, I mean, we had that whole conversation about like if Kubernetes is a programming language, but they have Kubernetes as like one of the challenges. So it's kind of like, I don't know. I mean, you're not helping me out here by saying that Kubernetes isn't programming when there's like a whole section of challenges on it on just Kubernetes. So I don't know. But here's the thing though. Like it is pretty cool because like you could set up your organization, uh, to use code, war- secure code warriors so that they could learn and you can actually like, set up assessments for the members of your team and you can like set up uh tournaments to like make it more fun. Right. Because, you know, I mean, we've kind of enjoyed, we kind of enjoy teasing Alan, like when we beat him, right. I mean, just a little bit. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we might have a couple more points than him right now. So, uh, you know, that's always kind of fun, but Hey, just as like the, you know, how we've talked about how it's important to like have metrics and everything. You, there's like literally you can go see your statistics as like how well you're doing and you know track your own me- metrics and they've got like little dashboards to show you like hey here's your your average strengths and weaknesses like you know as if I wasn't feeling bad enough about myself now I have a chart to show me where I'm messing up but you know that that's me though right because you're going to do awesome on this thing so yeah listen uh head over to discover.securecodewarrior.com slash coding blocks to start your next game and score 5,000 points and you get a cool t-shirt that's discover.securecodewarrior.com slash coding blocks. All right. So yeah, I guess now it's, uh, it's up to the one that I was curious about for you guys. All right. So let me set the scene here just a little bit. Okay. So let's say that you're going to create a project from scratch and I'm not talking about just a library or a component or something, right? Like you're not trying to make the next grid for, for react or anything. I'm talking about, you have this great idea. You're going to make a gazillion dollars. And so you now need to create this thing that you're going to deploy out to the world somehow, right? Whether it's the web or whether it's a, a desktop application, but so, of all the stuff we've talked about on this show over 141 episodes now. Well, this is the 141st, right? So this over is the 141st. So, so we're here. We're mm-hmm. here. So what let, let's, let's say pick maybe the top three things out of this list. And if I'm missing anything, let's add it to it because while we can't modify the survey, we can totally modify this. <laughs> so oh, this isn't science. I get it. I get it. This isn't science. This, this is just you. an experiment without any kind of science backing it. What are the top three things that would be the most important to you when creating this said application that's going to make you, um, babillions. So is it features, right? Mm. Okay. Hmm. That I was going to get to say. So features, features is a good one. Automation. So your CI, CD pipeline, your automated testing, your deployments, all that kind of stuff, right? Unit tests. Dependency injection. ALM, for those that aren't in the know, alerting, logging, monitoring. Or security first. Okay. What would be your top three here? I mean, clearly, anytime I start with an application, the first thing I do is I work on my authentication and make sure that it can tie into Twitter and Facebook and all that, and that it can scale to a billion concurrent users. Because if I can't do that, then it's already a loss. I I, I failed already. 
I, I agree with that. Okay. And I, I almost knew you would put scaling it. in here, but I was like, you know what? <laughs> no. Uh. no, seriously. Uh, in all seriousness, I, I would say feature first. Like, okay, feature MVP, first. MVP, and then and then you know everything else like the ability to scale. You don't know what the we don't know what areas of the thing are going to be a problem yet. So don't don't try to focus on scaling first. Uh, you know, see if you don't even know if your thing is going to be liked by anyone. So, you know, if you only get like one person a day, I'm sure it can scale to one person a day. Uh, okay, so we got you, your number one is features. Features definitely. Cause you, you gotta, you gotta even see if like, you know, get some feedback, see if this thing is even, even liked first. Um, I mean, nobody, I don't think anybody's going to focus on unit tests as like the thing that they're going to like, you know, let me start with unit tests. But That's how you're supposed to. I, I, uh-huh. Well, That's if it's TDD. TDD yeah. Um, but, I mean, given the choices that you gave here, well, okay, now if you're going to like see, okay, this is where you're messing up science because you're going back and rechanging some of these I told cha- you. I told you. Cha- choices to say that unit tests <laughs> equals TDD, and that's not the case. But I mean, I, I would I would agree given the choices of, between features, automation, unit tests, dependency injection, ALM, and security first that – you know, I would, I would probably have some unit tests alongside that development, but I don't know if it's something that I would call like, you know, I, I don't know the way it's called out here. Uh, you know, pick three of these. You, all the other stuff is just going to be terrible code. So you get, you get to pick three of these. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, 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 given given that choice and everything that you said, I would probably focus on features first. Um, I don't know about the alerting and the monitoring portion, but logging, I would have some right. kind of logging, right? Okay. Even if it even if it was just like a log for J or a log for Net, like you know, it wouldn't have to be anything fancy. Or uh, you know, I can't I can't remember the other one. Um, what's the other current one now? Oh man, I can't even remember. Um. And yeah, I guess I guess you know if it's something public, then uh, I mean security first seems like too aggressive because I'm assuming you mean like hyper secure. Nah, no, nah, just right like security. You're going to care about encrypting things. You're going to care about not storing plain text passwords. You're going to care about that kind of like I'm okay. talking. I mean, it, I, I'm not talking. That's going to vary you know, by Fortnox. app though, too, though, right? Because yeah, like totally. not every app is going to need that. No, like, you are. You're going to need this. This is scaling to billions of users, and you're going to make billions of dollars. You have to care about it. Well, I'm saying, like, if your thing is like a a, a Pac-Man, you know, like if you're trying to create, it, if your mission is, I want to create a CSS-based version of Pac-Man, but you're going to have you to don't need security. So that people can play Pac-Man. So, so yeah. Okay. Take it to then. Yeah. Then, <laughs> in that case, then I guess I'm going to, I'm given the choices, I would have to say security. All right. So outlaw feature A L capital L M and then security. All right, Jay Z, you. So I, I have to be paying the butt and draw a line. <laughs> <laughs> this is fluid. This is fluid. This is fluid. This is a fluid line. So if uh, if I think this project's gonna be less than three days, twenty four hours worth of work, features, features, features. I don't even care about the rest. Just you know, I'm yeah. trying to POC something. It didn't even, uh, I don't even need to know about the three day limit. It could be a week long, and uh, like features are the primary. I would agree with you there. Well, so I'm going to say three days because 
I feel like there's two things that we mentioned here that just make it so much easier to add features. And uh, at least for me, I just find motivational. Uh, maybe maybe that's a bit of a stretch for one of these. but uh, So I'm going to go ahead and say my first is CI. And this is something new this year. I've kind of like tried a few things. And maybe that's the reason I haven't published anything <laughs> in the last uh, seven months or so. But um, my idea here is basically getting CI set up really early in the process so that if I'm doing a website, it starts publishing before I even start doing the content. And, you know, I, I recognize that that's probably backwards. But uh, I just like the idea of always publishing. And, like, if I'm not publishing from day one, then there's a, such a good chance I'm just never going to publish. Do you because if it's not playing? easy, it's probably not going to happen. So I want I want to be able to show people my features as soon as possible. And at this point, I kind of feel like being able to show and share my features is just as important as having them. Cause if I can't share them, then I'm just describing them, you know? But, um, <clears throat> I don't think you mean CI. Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah. CD. <laughs> CI, yeah, CI CD, would yeah. just be it's like, it's all part of it. Well, yeah, no, yeah. C- CI is literally it's just like integrating your code. Just the integration. That, right, that's just right. like yeah. a Git repo is CI. No, I, I only work in one branch. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I don't go to multiple branches until we're at the six month mark. Yeah, I gotcha. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So CD, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So delivery. So that's kind of where my head's at now. Maybe I'm just you know skewed, but apparently, according to you guys, I'm not even coding lately. So you know, whatever. <laughs> you're in meetings. It doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> now, <laughs> number two. This is a bit of a stretch. I just like it. I like dependency injection. Working with uh, things like Spring. And uh, things like React, where I've got like things like context, uh, where I can just pass my stuff in or grab my stuff in from where I need it. And so I don't have to do so much plumbing. So I'm just tired of typing. I'm tired of plumbing. I just want to be able to grab stuff that I want. And I don't want to do singletons. I want to be able to get my – I just want to have my stuff just shoved to me. So if I need something from Session or if I've got some service, I just want to reach out and grab it. I don't want to pass stuff down the chain anymore. Uh, I'm hashtag over it. And so I think that if I get that started from day one, and most frameworks that I work with nowadays, like they just kind of have that built in. So it's just a matter of kind of not screwing that up. Um, then the third, of course, is features. So I feel like if I set up a good a good pipeline, get a publishing, and second, uh, make it easy for me to to not have to worry about plumbing, then the features will just flow. Man, you know what's so crazy is yours is super. Yours is super close to what mine is. So I I also am buying into the automation, the CI slash CD pipeline. And part of this is the series we've been doing. So I think it's, it's fundamentally changed my life. That's one. Um, but the other thing, too, is I think I mentioned to you guys about one of the MS Dev Show episodes where a guy was creating like the stock thing where he was checking and he was like, it's because he set it up at the very beginning. He never had to think about it from that point on, right? Like every time they committed code, it would build. And if everything was fine, then it could get released out, right? And, and just having that automation takes takes so much off of you in terms of just repetitive crap work that you just keep moving, right? Like, And that to me is huge. So I, I, I've bought into that. Um, the next thing for me, I think features has got to be number two. 
Because to what Outlaw and you even said, right? Like if you're not getting the the thing out there for people to use, then it doesn't matter how perfect your code is. None of it matters, right? It, it's it's never going to see the light of day. So features is my number two. And three, man, I'm, I'm super close to the dependency injection. Like for me, it's a toss up. I'm, I'm in between DI because I truly think it makes you write better code because to leverage it, you, you have to think about things a little bit better. It, at least that's kind of how I see things. But I'm also big on this whole alerting, logging, monitoring thing because without it, man, it, like we've been talking about in this past series here, you're blind. You're blind to everything that's going on. Are people using your features? Are your features working? Are they failing? Is there stuff happening that you have no clue about? So I am straight up torn on these two, but I think I'm leaning towards the ALM side of the world here. Just getting that stuff baked in early so that you have your automation and stuff goes out as soon as you plug a feature in. And now when that thing's out there running, you know whether or not it's performing how you want it to. And if you it, like, if you go that route, you can even start doing A-B testing whenever you want because you can sort of monitor, well, you know, 20% of the people are using this feature. 80% of the people are using this other version of it, right? Like, I don't know. I... So that both, whole, okay, go ahead. No, 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 go Sorry. I was just going to say that whole ability to be able to measure things and to be able to respond to things when they happen or they don't happen or whatever is super appealing to me. So, so yeah, that, I, I think the automation, the features and the ALM. I, I mean, I like where you got some of the reasons that you gave, but like part of the, 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 the thing here that you gave was that you had to collect credit cards Neither of you picked security. I'm doing that through Stripe now. Come on, right? Yeah, I was going to say I'm offloading that to a third party service. I'm just that saying. wasn't <laughs> that wasn't an option. That I was trying to sell you, man. You I, said I, that I we trying. had to pick secure. <laughs> you said that we had to collect credit cards. Uh, your your credit I, card number's been stolen like five times since we started right. this podcast. So it's fine. Right. Yeah, it, it, look, man. Every health insurance company you've been with to this point has now leaked you. So we're fine. <laughs> I'm disappointed. <laughs> Hey, look, look, I'm going to be honest with you. Security actually bothered me in this list because I know that it should be first. But if I'm making, if I'm making something make a billion dollars, I'm going to get it in there at some point, but I need to get my features out there. So. Well, well, I mean, I, I really loved the way Jay-Z broke it down like by the number of, you know, hey, if it's this many days, then do this. If it's this many days, do right. that. Although I, I would argue that like your three day thing, I think is like way too aggressive. Cause I, I think personally it's going to be like, if it's going to be something that you're going to work on for like a few weeks, feature, feature, feature. That's the only thing that matters is feature, feature, feature. Right. But if it's going to be like, you know, beyond six months, then, you know, these other things start to matter more. Well, before launch, before a real launch. Yes. Right. Like, and I think that's the key. Like what you're talking about, feature, 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 cram it in there, cram it in there, cram it in there. And then when you really plan on putting it out so that people can consume it, then you have to start really, you know, being concerned about security and all that stuff. But, but we've talked about this in the past. It's a heck of a lot easier to bake security in at the very beginning than to try and bolt it on later and go, oh, you know, I really screwed that up. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, and for me, um, security, the way I think about security is so tightly entwined with uh, CICD that I kind of feel like CICD is like a prerequisite if you're doing any sort of thing with keys and deployments. And so, uh, you know, I, I do think starting left or starting as left as possible is really important. So, you know, obviously security, uh, the sooner you do it, the better. It just, I kind of feel like, you know, you like aside from like storing, you know, storing your password in a password safe, like if you're actually deploying, uh, you need to have that CD pipeline before you can really consider yourself to be in best practice. I mean, listen, if you think that just because you have a CI CD pipeline in place that you automatically have security done, oh, no, solved no. for you, then there's some tests that you need to go back through on Secure Code Warrior <laughs> because you're missing. They, they have a whole section of Kubernetes and Docker. Like, right, right. You could have CI CD in place and still have all kinds of security holes. Oh, totally. Yeah. I just mean without the CD, CD, then you're probably FTPing somewhere from maybe from a coffee shop. You've got some keys that are on that disk. If that, you know, if that disk fails, then maybe you lose your keys. And I can, you know, that, like denial of service or something gets knocked over or destroyed or whatever. And so uh, there's a lot of bad things that can happen if you don't have those practice, like the, the security kind of baked in. And when I say baked in, I mean baked into a pipeline, not baked into like hard coded into your code. Right. Listen, I, I'm I just hurt because I feel like I got duped into picking security because you said that we had to collect credit cards and then the <laughs> two of you don't pick security as one of your three. Well, yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> that ain't right. I don't I, trust I will, myself to do anything secure, so I just don't. I, I will say on the CICD thing, the, I think the big one for me is one, you get rid of the minutia of of just has to get something deployed. That's huge. But for me, I think the more important thing is the repeatability, right? If we've talked about this in the past is you push a button and it does it all exactly the same every single time. I didn't have to remember to go load up a file or bake in the secrets or any of that stuff. It's there or it doesn't work. And, and that is, that is huge to me. And I, without having CI CD on other projects, uh, it's definitely been a pain. I remember having like a NuGet library, and every time I would make a change, I would have to manually run a script and then publish the thing. But then, uh, you know, I didn't have that. Like, I had a private key that I would use to sign it, and that private key was on my desktop, but it wasn't on my laptop. So, depending on where I worked, I had to go do it. And so, it just made I would have some little change, like, oh, but I don't want to do it now because I don't want to deal with the hassle of versioning and putting the stuff up there and publishing and then updating the website, which was like a web deploy kind of thing. It just mean there was like seven manual steps for every little, you know, text change or minor bug fix. And I just don't uh-huh. want to deal with that. I forgot to bump the Simver. Great. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just stupid little stuff that is so easy to miss as, as a person. So, yeah. So I want to embrace the joy of programming through CICD. I, same here. It's, it truly, man, we've said it before. If you ever get it and you never had it before, you're like, how did I ever do this without it? So cool. Do we have any resources? I guess we do. We have the links that you had to the Reddit stuff. Well, so yeah, we'll have some links in here. Uh, there's the, also the video uh, where, you know, the, the Vim tutorial that uh, Zach gave to Joe and I that be interesting. If you want to learn a thing or two about Vim, and I guarantee you'll walk out of there with like 15 things you learned about it. It was really good. All right. Well, with that, we head into Alan's favorite portion of the show. It's the tip of the week. Only without Alan. Uh, Alan just had to step away. So uh, we will continue on. So you want to go first, Joe? You want me to go? Yeah, the show must go oh, on. Okay. Oh, that's right. That's the saying that I should have said. 
Ah, next time. <clears throat> next time. All right. Well, I didn't know we were allowed to just step out, man. Maybe I don't know. Maybe we'll be seeing some changes right here. I'll be right back. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no backfired. <laughs> All right. So here's my tip. And I know it's going to be controversial with, controversial with you, Outlaw. Oh? It's, yes. Especially based on what we talked about in this episode. Okay. So there is a UI in almost like a... I can't really call it the IDE, but there's a UI for Kubernetes called Lens, and uh, it's open source, and uh, somehow it also just got acquired by Mirantis, who's the same company that acquired uh, Docker uh, Docker Enterprise, basically the consulting arm of Docker from Docker Corporation earlier, which is kind of weird. Um, but they also snapped up this uh, open source IDE, and as much as I know, we love the CLI. We love to type stuff and to know what's really going on and what exactly is happening when we, you know, do things. It is so gosh darn convenient to be able to click through and see and filter. It remembers the things that you filter by. You can easily have multiple contexts and you don't have to switch your local context. So if you're doing something in CLI in one environment, you can just kind of keep it running and easily pop over to another uh, context, you know, or another cluster and go check on something without disrupting anything that you've got going on uh, in your kind of local uh, configuration. I mean, Yeah, so I have used this. It is very cool to be able to like um, see and manage your your Kubernetes environment. It is interesting though that you you made that distinction earlier about like you know UI versus IDE because it's actually called Lens the Kubernetes IDE, <laughs> which yeah. I'm like, mm, yeah, but there's no such thing. Yeah, yes, yeah, we said it wasn't development, right? So right, it's not programming, right? So how, how can you have an IDE? I don't know the IE for Kubernetes. I mean, you know, because the because the D specifically for uh, development environment, right? So uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know. So it's just an integrated environment. Yeah, uh, <laughs> maybe <laughs> an integrated doer environment for for doers <laughs> that need to do stuff. Yeah, it's great if you just need to do stuff. The best, the best thing in my opinion, aside from being able to pop over to another cluster to do something quickly without disrupting uh, yes. your local context, I mean that's kind of number one for me. Number two is just the links. I'll go click on a pod. Oh, let me go check out that config map. Oh, okay, let me go see you know something else and just click, 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 boom, boom, boom. And typing that stuff can be pretty arduous, even with uh, you know autocomplete or whatever you might have uh, in in uh, Bash. It's still uh, nice to just be able to click. And you don't have to worry about like, oh, let me change my context, go do some stuff. Yeah. And then you want to run that next command, but you forgot which context you're in. And oops, you ran it in the wrong yeah. one. And you're port forwarding over in this context and you pop over to the other one and you go do something. And, oh, the ports, you try to port forward, but that one's already bound. So now you're just, okay, yeah. let me increment. And then that was the database. Let me go. Uh, it just goes on and on and on. So just anything to make that easier, I think is great. And plus, if you're on a screen share or something, I think it's much easier to be able to just kind of click through that than try to expect the person to kind of keep up with the things that you're typing. Well, very cool. Uh, yeah, I'd be curious to see, like, you know, get some feedback on this. Cause I, I know, like we said, we've used it and we both like it, but, uh, you know, be curious to know like what others think of it too. Uh, interesting that it got bought too, though. I, I had, I didn't know that. So does that like brand new information? Did that just happen like this week? No. Uh, probably within the last month or so. Oh, okay. 
All right. Well, <clears throat> here's my tip for you. Have you ever wanted to, within a running Docker container, have you ever wanted to use Docker? Yes. Have you ever tried? Yes. I could. I immediately like lost myself to the inception and my brain exploded for the rest of the day. Yeah. I had to go homesick. It's kind of weird, right? Yep. It, it's not technically recommended, but there are ways to do it. And the easiest way that I found to do it is you can within within inside of your running Docker container, you can bind its Docker instance to the host's Docker instance. So what I mean by that is that when you're in your your let's say you're on your Docker host and you do a Docker stats. Docker space stats, or you do a Docker space image uh, space LS, right? Whatever the output you see there, if you were inside of your Docker container, you're running Docker container and you bind it to the host and you do those same commands, you're going to see the same output, right? Because it's literally just showing you whatever the host is doing. So the situation that I found myself in was <clears throat> we, uh, we use Docker for all of our builds for our build pipeline so that that way, like, you know, the, the actual building of something can be consistent no matter who you build, who builds it, where they build it, uh, whether you're, you're building it for local purposes to like run and test something or, you know, because it's going to actually get deployed out as an artifact somewhere else. Right. That way all the, the actual construction of the artifact is consistent. However, I found myself in a need where I our Jenkins build agents weren't available. And I thought, you know, as a temporary workaround for this, it'd be pretty cool if I could spin these agents up on, as Docker containers on like my laptop here. And then that way our build pipeline could still flow, right? But that's where this problem came in where it's like, oh, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> Those Docker images need to run, uh, would, would need to be able to like run Docker to build images with inside of the image. So yeah, very inception ish, right? Yep. So he, so here's the way that you do that. Uh, you, you know how you could do like a, a dash V to pass in a volume, right? Yep. So, so the syntax wow. for this thing is uh, the, the, uh, what I'm going to tell you, the syntax I'm going to tell you was for me to bind a windows, uh, a, a running Ubuntu instance of Docker, a Docker container version of Docker to the host Windows 10 Docker uh, desktop environment. But it's going to, it's all in a Unix kind of format. But it was, you know, you, you'd use the dash V like you were going to like uh, mount a volume. But it's slash var slash run slash Docker dot sock like like socket or you know like the sock that you would wear with shoes well not for you because you're in florida florida man doesn't wear shoes but so so var var slash var slash run slash docker dot sock colon and then basically the same thing slash var slash run slash docker dot sock and what that'll do is that bind that'll that'll uh bind the containers docker socket to the host Docker socket. And then that way you can use Docker inside of your container. 
that's freaky. I I didn't know you could bind anything except volumes. It didn't make sense. I mean, it's a dash V. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And what's so, what's even more bizarre to me is that it, that I, at least in my, your mileage may vary, but for me, I used a, a, you know, what, what I would call like a Unix type syntax for that, for that volume mount. And yeah, that worked. I can't remember what I was trying to do with that. I think I was trying to basically get an artifact out. So I wanted to like do the Docker build and then take the thing that got out of the, there was the result of that build and like get it out somewhere else. And so I was basically trying to do kind of a build within a build and yeah. I gave up very quickly. Well, and that's what I was doing. That's, that's pretty much what I was doing here was like, you know, within this, this, uh, this running Docker container, which again, you know, it, it was basically at that point a Jenkins build agent. And I would want it to do perform Jenkins builds. And so it would then, uh, you know, publish those out to like an artifactory, for example. So it was, it was creating artifacts and publishing the artifacts and everything. And, you know, there's things that like you, you can easily take for granted with Docker, you know, depending on your use case. But there were some things where like, um, to run like snap D, for example, because, uh, snap uh, bit me because I wanted to run um, Helm, and and specifically for Helm, like one of the easy ways of uh, of installing Helm is you know with SnapD you could just be like snap install Helm dash dash classic, right? But uh, Snap you you know, there there's no supported way of running it inside of Docker. Right. So I couldn't use that trick. So I had to like go through this manual process of like, okay, fine. I'll download the, the helm tarball. I'll extract it and then move the files into the right places. And so that I could have helm, which I mean, you know, wasn't the end of the world, but it was like mm-hmm. little things like that, that it was, you know, and, and, and the, you know, running Docker within Docker was just like an, one of those other things, because another one of the things like I never really thought about, but, um, that you kind of take for granted is, you know, like there's the different init levels for, uh, like in like a, a Unix kind of system, like a POSIX type operating system, you know, that you could be running in. So there's like, you know, normal, the normal multi-user mode, but then there's also like single user modes and things okay, like that. Yeah. So I never really took for, I never really thought about it, but I always took it for granted the init level that you're running in when that Docker container is running. Right. So you're going to have things that aren't going to like, operate like normal. Like if you wanted to build up a, a container and run cron and have cron jobs run inside of it, mm-hmm. right? Like, like maybe if you were going to like thinking, Oh, I'll have like a long running instance or, you know, and, and periodically I wanted to run some kind of thing, right? Like, yeah, yeah, we'll go and install cron and then watch it not work. <laughs> watch right. it not get fired. Cause you know, you're not in that type of a knit level for it to run. Wow. Yeah. It's just things I never thought about before. I, I just completely no, take really it cool. for granted. Man, so. uh, I did. I ran into something similar where I needed to. I was trying to check a service account or something in Kubernetes, so I uh, ended up installing kubectl inside a pod and doing some weird stuff. And I tried to do it in Helm too, and I ended up giving up on that too. But uh, do you know? Uh, so every pod has access to the Kubernetes. You know, it was the kubelet or whatever that's on that instance, so you can uh, talk out to the kube, uh, Kubernetes API just from any pod, just built in. You can just you can literally do rest calls unless you've got some stuff turned off, uh, you know, and depending on your permissions, yada, yada. But what is awful about that 
is the REST API takes JSON and it does not take YAML. So everything else, everything that everybody in the world is doing with Kubernetes is YAML, YAML, YAML. Everyone complains about YAML, YAML, YAML. Then you go to use the Kubernetes API from inside a pod and they're like, nope, got to be JSON. <laughs> I wonder what the decision was behind that. Yeah, it looks like kubectl itself, uh, when, whenever you interact with it, it's basically responsible for taking your YAML, converting it to the JSON, and then sending it up. I haven't, I haven't verified that yet, but that, that's what it appears to be doing. So like the, the brains and the smarts for doing that sort of thing happens at, you know, the, basically the interface layer rather than kind of deeper in the API. And so it's a, a pretty big pain in the butt. But you said it's because you're, you're passing it into like a, a REST API, you said? Yep. So maybe the reason why is just because they're they're the thinking was like oh hey there's there's truckloads of libraries out there for JSON you mm-hmm. know they could like uh, <clears throat> deserialize the JSON back into an object versus what's there out there what's out there for YAML right yeah is there well it's is just funny a, then it's like the, why, why don't we do YAML? YAML why bother with YAML on the outside then why don't we just do everything JSON yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that. If you know the answer, you should leave a comment because I don't. I don't know what the answer is. Didn't we already decide though that YAML was another one of those um, the 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 redundant acronyms? Oh, recursive. Yeah, yeah, was recursive. Yet another markup language. Yet another markup language. No, was that is it? That, or YAML? YAML is another markup language. Is that what it's called? Okay. Sounds sounds right. I don't know. So this is why we need Alan. Yeah, we're falling apart. YAML ain't. Markup language is okay, what YAML stands for. We were close and yet so far away. And it's been another one of those recursive definitions that they made recursive after the fact, which is cheating. Yeah, like PHP. Because it used right. to be, yeah, another our personal home pages. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, so I hope, you know, hope you've enjoyed our water cooler episode. Uh, with that, we ask that uh, if you, you know, as, as, uh, mentioned earlier, if you haven't already left us a review, we would appreciate it if you did. You can find some helpful links at www.codingblocks.net slash review. And, you know, if you if you haven't already subscribed to us, wherever you happen to find your podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever, uh, iTunes. So, I mean, we're there. Uh, we would appreciate it, you know, in case if, uh, you know, a friend happened to like point you in the direction of us. And, uh, you know, when you're uh, at uh, codingblocks.net, uh, you know, finding those helpful links for the reviews. Uh, be sure to check out the show notes examples and the discussion there. You, you know, jump in on discuss and join in on the conversation on any one of the episodes. And if you go to slash slack, and there's probably a link up there somewhere too, you can uh, join the slack. Uh, it's very easy. <laughs> like how you said, probably there are definitely. Probably. Yeah. I've been there before. I remember seeing something like that. It's actually Maybe though more it. specifically to join slack. Yes. Join the slack. Right. Um, because you could auto join Slack. You don't have to send an email. You don't have to send a Twitter. You could just join it. Uh, and hey, there is. Yeah, the the link is join our Slack. So yeah, just at the top of the page there. It's awesome. <laughs> like, and so Alan thinks he bails on the last five minutes of the show and we go on for another two hours. That's fine. It's fine. <laughs> and make sure to follow us on Twitter at Coding Blocks. You can find all our social links at the top of the page of the website. 